Welcome to the Return to Truth podcast, defending the Bible's message on things people don't like to hear. I'm your host, Joshua Cretchen, BTH from Prairie College in Three Hills, Alberta. My hope is that through this resource you will grow in your confidence to explain and stand firm on what the Bible says when you are confronted by questions, doubts, and clever arguments. So now let's heed and join in the call to return to the truth. Thank you for listening to the Return to Truth podcast. If you're interested in getting updates on upcoming episodes, or if there's a question that's been put to you that you'd like me to discuss on here, you can find me on Instagram at Return to Truth Podcast. Until next time, let's heed and join in the call to return to the truth. Hello and thank you for tuning in to what is going to be the first episode of the Return to Truth podcast. And now this podcast was actually born out of a blog that I started back in high school based off of the inspiration one of my friends gave me. So uh, shout out to Simon because a large part of this I owe to him just based off of that initial encouragement. And yes, so that blog just started as an outlet for me to share what God was teaching me, what I saw as main issues or concerns within the church and within Christianity. And I'm just excited to engage in another way to, once again, speak what I believe is close to the heart of God, close to the heart of spirit, to encourage others to, as the intro to this podcast is, help you grow in confidence to explain and stand firm on what the Bible says when you're confronted by all these things that can just be really confusing overall. And one such thing that I think can be confusing is how we relate the ideas uh, or how we relate the Holy Spirit and the Bible. And so there was an event a couple years ago now that's really what inspired this topic particularly. So I'll just share that with you so you can have some background information that provides context to where we'll be going here. But yes, a couple summers ago, I was working as a landscaper. And the, both my boss and my other coworker, and really it was just three of us, small company, but we all happened to be Christian, which wasn't too surprising since the person who referred me to this company was one of my Bible college classmates. Uh, but yeah, it was overall prof- provided really good community, and it was they were good people to work with during those long, hot hours of the heat wave of that summer. But my one coworker, he was a very talkative man, and not really in the bad sense, because you know there are those people who just go on and on, and you're just waiting for them to shut up. But uh, this guy wasn't one of those. I always enjoyed listening to him. He was good storyteller and he had really interesting points of view although there were some things that I did not fully agree with even though I wasn't able to articulate exactly what my disagreement was at the time but one such conversation we were having one day was he actually told me that he wasn't a fan of the song Jesus loves me and he said that he wasn't a fan of the song because of the line for the bible tells me so 
because he said that the Holy Spirit, not the Bible, taught him that. Now you hear that, and it might sound odd at first, like what? Okay, but like because this is a song we grew up on as children. How how could you dismiss it just so easily? That some of you maybe, if you start thinking, I was like, okay, yeah, I guess that makes sense. But really, the question we have to ask when a line like that is brought up is like, okay, but is what the Holy Spirit teaches us really separate than the Bible? Do we say that the Holy Spirit and not Scripture? is our teacher? Is it right to make such a division? And that's really the main question we have to answer going into this. Now, some of you will find that you, you've you heard people say maybe, I value Christ above scripture or things like that. And yeah, on some in surface level, that seems kind of right because of course, we don't want to put any object above God and we know of course, there were many, such as the Pharisees, who searched the scriptures diligently because they thought that in them they had life, and yet they refused to come to Jesus in order to have life. So that is a real concern that we do want to acknowledge. But is that grounds for dismissing scripture as our teacher, or is it grounds for saying that we need to just follow Jesus, that we just need the Spirit, and that we can live on that without the Bible. And so, to answer this question, there are a number of things that we have to consider. First of all, just so you have an overview of where we're going to be going in this episode, we'll look at some important definitions. Specifically, I want to talk about what the role of the Holy Spirit actually is, because I think there's a lot of confusion on that. Uh, But then we'll also look at some biblical narratives that will tie into this issue, look also at some historical examples, and then we'll just get into the main argument of what I want to come down to as an answer to the question of this episode, and then we'll wrap it up from there. But yes, so the starting point we want to begin at is what is the role of the Holy Spirit? And I think this is perhaps, I mean debatably, but one of the most misunderstood aspects of theology among Christians a lot of, I mean, we can come to some basic understanding that the Holy Spirit's a person, okay? So we may not fall into the error of the Jehovah's Witnesses in calling the Holy Spirit a force, rather like lightning rather than a person. But at the same time, a lot of Christians seem to think it's like, okay, the Holy Spirit is my conscience. He's that little voice inside me. He's the one who prompts me to do these weird, spontaneous things that I want to do otherwise, or maybe you have some other concept of the Holy Spirit, but those are some ones at least that I've seen or heard. But if we want to learn what the role of the Holy Spirit is, ultimately it's best to go to the source itself. What does Jesus say is the role of the Holy Spirit? And so we'll look at a few scripture verses and just talk about those, but John chapter 14 is the first place I want to go. And so this is a chapter in a section of chapters, really, where Jesus is giving his final speech, if you will, to the apostles on the night just before he is betrayed, arrested, and then crucified. And so these are his parting words to them in one sense, not ultimately, because of course he'll resurrect and speak to them again. But these are the words he is leaving them with before uh, he performs his ultimate task, the 
main purpose for which he came, which was to uh, die for our sins. And he's telling them, he's like, I am going to the Father, and you will look for me and not see me. So these are the words that I want you to remember. And one of the things, or one of the central themes that his speech uh, centers around is the idea of the Holy Spirit, that although he is leaving them, that his physical presence will no longer be going with them while on earth. He is not going to leave them alone. He won't leave them as orphans, he says. He's going to send someone to be with them, and that is the Holy Spirit. And so the first verse that we'll want to look at here is John chapter 14 and verse 26. And this is what it says there. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Right, so the Holy Spirit has a few names in Scripture. Here we see that he is called the Advocate and the one who the Father is sending in the name of Jesus. And here Jesus gives us an initial overview of what his role is. The Holy Spirit is coming in order to teach the disciples all things and to remind them of everything Jesus has said to them. And really, so really, we do see that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. That's what Jesus says there. That it is not wrong to say, yes, the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches me truth. But we have to ask, okay, what do we mean, though, by teaching? And the other operative word in this verse that Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit is going to remind the disciples of what Jesus has already said to them. And I think that that word of reminding is central to understanding what we mean when we say that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Because ultimately what Jesus is getting at here isn't that the Holy Spirit is going to give them all new information, things that were never known before. But just as a teacher doesn't provide entirely new information, maybe new to the student but not new in an objective sense, they come to explain and make clear uh, certain concepts. And I think that's, again, the idea going on here. Because you'll see many times throughout the Gospels, Jesus will say something, and at the time, the disciples have no idea what he's talking about. To, the, to them, it's like he's speaking in riddles, and they don't understand. Uh, but, f for example, in John chapter 2, Jesus uh, is driving out the money changers in the temple, and Later on, it says that the whole that the disciples remember the scripture which said, which said, "Zeal for your house will consume me." And so this idea of reminders, like, "Oh, this is what that event meant. This is its significance." Or again, take the many predictions of Jesus' death and resurrection, which the disciples got almost no time, uh, never really understood until it actually happened, and their minds were opened by the Holy Spirit. And so there are all these enigmatic phrases that Jesus has that ultimately don't make sense until the Holy Spirit comes and sheds light on them. And that's really the idea of what we mean when we say that the Holy Spirit's our teacher. We have the words of Jesus, but they are dead and unintelligible to us until the Holy Spirit comes and shows to us what they actually mean. And so that's the first idea that we want to look at here. But 
there are other chapters in this section where Jesus continues talking about the Holy Spirit. And another one is chapter 15, verse 26 in John. And this is what Jesus says there. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And so there's an important note here of this kind of trinity language that is going on in these chapters. This is the spirit of truth who is sent out from the Father, and his role is to testify about Jesus. And this is very similar to language that Jesus used to describe his own ministry throughout the Gospels, that he didn't come to speak on his own, but he only spoke what he heard the Father say. He only did as he saw the Father do. And so it's important to note that no member of the Trinity is acting independently of the other. There's this inherent unity among them all, and they all exist to glorify one another because they are all acting out of expressions of love for each other. The Son comes to glorify the Father out of love for him. The Spirit comes to glorify Jesus, the Son, out of love for him. And so what the Spirit does is he doesn't... uh, glorify himself he doesn't just come for the sake of giving the disciples some supernatural ability and power at least not just for that reason it's that's not the purpose in and of itself the power and the boldness that the holy spirit will give to the disciples is for the purpose of testifying about jesus and when we testify about jesus Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit testifying through us to him. That's the purpose he comes for. And so we have to keep in mind that that that's the key that ties together the work of the Holy Spirit. And we have to keep that central purpose in mind if we really do want to understand what the work of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be. Now, there's one other passage I want to look at and If we really understand this next passage rightly, I think we would avoid maybe 90% of the problems of how people try to engage with uh, the Holy Spirit and to use their spiritual gifts. Because there are many people who neglect these words and as a result just cause chaos, really. And that's not what the work of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be. And so the passage I'm referring to is 1 Corinthians 14 verses 32 and 33 and this is what it says the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets for god is not a god of disorder but of peace and so we see sometimes we have this idea that okay you know we just need to kind of clear out our mind not worry about planning just The Holy Spirit's going to come on me spontaneously and kind of take over and he's going to speak through me. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit doesn't possess you to speak through you. He doesn't inspire disorder and just random words and random actions. What he does is supposed to be done fittingly and done in order. And so the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. As much as you might believe that you have a word from the Spirit that doesn't Really, that's more akin to how demons work. You can read uh, stories of how temple prophets or prophetesses worked and their disturbing stories of how these people convulse and just seem like they're taken over by a rabid animal and, and then start their prophecy. But that's not how the Holy Spirit works. He may inspire, but he doesn't possess. 
And he's not a God of disorder, but of peace. Not a God of confusion, but of clarity. And that's what we need to understand about the Holy Spirit. Really, all these ideas that we've been looking at through these verses, there's a framework within which the Holy Spirit works. There are a lot of people who say, like, okay, don't put God in a box. And sure, to some extent, at least at the heart level, there is an element of truth in that, that God can often work far beyond what we imagine or hope in our finite minds. But, but God has said in Scripture, okay, this is how I act. This is who I am. And it's not limiting to God to say that he is consistent with who he said he is, that he is consistent to act how he says he does. That's just his nature. And when we say, it's like, oh, and when we try to work outside that saying, well, we shouldn't put God in a box, in a sense, what we're doing is creating a God with multiple personality disorder who is just haphazard. And when he says one thing, it might be different tomorrow. But that's not the God of the Bible. We serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we need to understand the framework that Scripture presents for who he is and how he acts. That is essential to answering the question of, is the Holy Spirit better than the Bible? Because ultimately, how the Holy Spirit acts, how he teaches, how we learn who he is, is presented within the framework of scripture. But now let's talk about some examples of when people try to work outside of this framework that God's provided that God has provided. And so what the main example I want to look at is found in Numbers chapter 12. And so this is part of the narrative of when Israel is wandering in the wilderness and despite the many warnings of God, despite all his provision for them and all the law he has given them, how he has blessed them with his servant Moses, the people continue to grumble. And event, and in some cases, even the leaders, those who are close to God, who are close to Moses, rebel against Moses and against God too. And the example in Numbers 12 is of Miriam's and Aaron's rebellion. And they say, has God only spoken through Moses? Has he not also spoken through us? And so they're jealous of Moses and don't understand why he's getting, why he has all the authority to rule Israel. Shouldn't they have a greater measure of that too, since God has spoken through them? But then God comes down um, upon their complaint and he says that when he speaks to a prophet, he speaks in dreams and visions. But with Moses, he speaks face to face as a friend. Who are they to question that? God has chosen to speak with Moses in a way different than he typically does with other prophets or with the priests. But that is not for Miriam and Aaron to question. God has provided the framework. He has said, I am going to speak to you through Moses. He is the one I have designated to lead Israel out and to bring the law down from the mountain and give it to you. And the result of their complaint is that Miriam is struck with leprosy and has to remain outside the camp for seven days, I believe, until she's healed. But clearly, when God provides a framework 
it's not for us to question and say, well, why doesn't God speak this? Why doesn't he give me more than he has? This kind of dissatisfaction with the framework that God has set is dangerous. It leads to rebellion, and then rebellion has consequences. We need to understand that this framework isn't meant to be limiting. It's meant to, meant to be beneficial for us. It's meant to provide us with a clear and straight path to follow. God's word, which he has given to us, the Bible, is important. It is the standard by which we are instructed in what is the right way. The longest psalm, Psalm 119, is all about extolling God's law. This is the law who reveals who God is. This is the law that shows us how to live. This is the law in which God speaks to us. And we want to be careful that, less like Josiah, King Josiah's generation, we forget the book of the law. And fall into all sorts of sin and error and deception and bring just punishment and discipline on ourselves. But now this biblical example with Miriam and Aaron, of course, is not the only example, either in scripture or in history, of which people became dissatisfied with what God had provided and sought for more beyond it, sought for more for themselves. And so there's one historical example that I want to highlight uh, just briefly, and that is the example of the Quakers, otherwise known as the Society of Friends. And so this is a quote-unquote Christian movement that was founded in the 1600s by a man named uh, George Fox. And he, like many others, and probably at least to some extent rightfully so, he was dissatisfied with how formalistic the church had become. It was nothing but dead religion to him. But what this dissatisfaction led him to was a belief that there was an inner light of Christ that resided that resides in everyone. And that because of this inner light, all have the ability to communicate with God, to experience direct revelation and to hear his voice in a real way, and he himself claimed many uh, such direct revelations for himself. His emphasis, too, was on the Holy Spirit. There was, he was known, for example, to interrupt sermons, one particularly, I believe, on Second uh, Peter one nineteen, which talks about the more sure word of prophecy. And the minister at the time was explaining that this was uh, the scripture. But then... Uh, George Fox stood up and trumped it and said that the passage was actually referring to the Holy Spirit. So again, this idea that the Holy Spirit, not Scripture, is our ultimate teacher. But of course, as we saw on First Corinthians 14, if that act had really been inspired by the Holy Spirit, it would have been done in order and he wouldn't have been interrupting. It would have been better to take the way of Aquila and Priscilla, who spoke to Apollos privately to explain more fully the way of God to him. And so, whether or not uh, you believe in these things of direct revelations that George Fox received, at least the way he went about that particular instance was not spirit-inspired. 
because again, there's a framework that God has provided himself. He says, this is how I work, and he doesn't work in disorder. And now George Fox and his followers, uh, they were persecuted uh, for their beliefs. So it's not as if they were immensely uh, popular with the general church of the day, whether Catholic or Protestant. But while they don't have an outright rejection of the Bible, at least not at the time, at the beginning, there was a belief that people could experience the voice of God and that without scripture. And so there was that division, a division between the teaching of the Holy Spirit and the teaching of scripture. They would say that the two were compatible, but that the two could, or at least that the Holy Spirit could speak outside of scripture. And so what that's led to really is if you look at uh, modern day Quakers, the gospel is no longer exclusive. It's because of this belief in equality. If everyone has the light of Christ, then all are welcome to join. So whatever your creed, you don't have to submit to the creed of scripture. You can be an atheist and be a Quaker. This idea of universal authority, if everyone has the ability to hear God's voice, and they can say, this is what God told me. If everyone has that ability, what you end up with is universal contradiction. Universal authority equals universal contradiction. This is one of the main benefits and purposes of God's revelation and teaching coming to us in the scripture. Here we have one final standard of authority to which all other creeds, people, churches, ministers, all must submit to this rule of faith found in scripture. That's why this is important. And one more example I'll talk about is uh, Sarah Yun, who's most known for her book, Jesus Calling, a little div uh, devotional in which she writes from the perspective of Jesus. And so in the book, it's as if the book is written as if Jesus is talking directly to you. So whenever first-person pronouns are used, whether it be like I or my, you're supposed to understand that it's Jesus talking. And when it says you, that's, well, talking to you. <laughs> and so while she does claim that her book is a little, it's different than scripture, it's not really clear at what level, because she really does believe that these are God's words, and it's written as if he is speaking directly to you. So the mere claim that this is not the same thing as scripture really doesn't amount to much when you read the content of the book. And now she herself uh, says in her introduction to the book that what inspired her to write this is that she yearned for more than scripture. She knew that God spoke in scripture, but this wasn't enough. She yearned for more. And so once again, we have this dis dissatisfaction for the framework that God has provided and that dissatisfaction is dangerous and really what a devotional like this does is it leads to worship how could it not when you believe you're hearing the words of Jesus but these are not the words of scripture and so what you get is a supplement version of Jesus that you're worshiping and it's, it becomes no longer the God of the Bible because you're like 
okay, here's the God of the Bible, but I need more than this. I want to really know Jesus as if God isn't known through his word, as if he doesn't present, this is who I am, this is why I'm worthy of worship. And suddenly he needs to take on a whole new tone that in this book uh, in particular sounds a lot like a middle-aged woman. It doesn't share the same tone of Jesus in the Gospels. It doesn't share the same tone of God and the prophets because this isn't the same God speaking. And you end up worshiping a different Jesus when you engage in these type of things. Also of note, uh, for in this is she, when writing this devotional, was particularly inspired by a different book called God Calling. Uh, and she freely admitted that at least in one of the first editions, I don't think her attribution of that inspiration is found in later editions of Jesus Calling. And yes, there are multiple editions in which even some of the words that she supposedly heard from uh, Jesus or God are changed. And so in one edition, you'll see a certain entry for August 23rd, and that will change in a later one. Uh, but one of the practices anyways that the authors of God Calling use is what really is an all-cultic practice known as automatic writing. This idea that, you know, you sit with pen and paper in hand and then you just start writing kind of like free flow of thought, not with any particular attention given to the words and you believe that, okay, this is what the Holy Spirit is meant to say. I had a classmate actually in college who kind of advocated for this. She had, so my classmate had a friend of her own who was just have these tremors in their hands and start scribbling on a paper. And my classmate told her, like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. So you just got to write and let the Holy Spirit speak through you, learn what he's saying to you. But this goes back to that issue we talked about when we mentioned 1 Corinthians 14. That's the kind of work a demon does where it takes over you and possesses you. The Holy Spirit doesn't possess you. The spirit of prophets is subject to prophets. And so the Holy Spirit may inspire, but he doesn't He doesn't take over. And so this practice is completely antithetical, once again, to that framework that the God has provided to say, this is how I work. This is how my Holy Spirit works. And so there are a number of uh, issues with such a devotional like Jesus Calling, ultimately what all these examples come down to is we need to be satisfied with what God has provided for us. The scripture is a gift. It's not something that's insufficient for our faith. Why do we scorn so great a light without which the teaching of our Lord Jesus would be lost in time. People sit around, sat around waiting for days for an oracle from one of their false gods. We often sit around waiting for days like God speak to me as if he hasn't given us his word, as if he doesn't speak to us through it anymore. Why is it such a dead text to us? Maybe the reason is because we do need the Holy Spirit and come enlightened to us enlighten us as to the true meaning and significance of the words of scripture, as we did talk about as one of his roles. But why do we yearn for something else? That is just, it's not a right spirit for the Christian. And so now I want to talk about 
what is an essential reason we need to not create this division between the work of the Holy Spirit as our teacher and the role of Scripture. And so the verse that's going to uh, guide this next part is 1 John 4, 6, and this is what it says. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. And so for, just for context, what John's talking about here is that there are many antichrists who have gone out into the world. And the way he defines an antichrist or the spirit of the antichrist is anyone who does not acknowledge that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And so there's this standard of teaching to what spirits must be held. And if they don't confess that, they are the, that is the spirit of the antichrist. And so what we need to understand is that there is more than one spirit at work in this world. You know, we Christians, especially here at the West, are very ignorant to the spiritual realm. We want to dismiss it, uh, largely because of the effect of the Enlightenment on us with its rationalism and skepticism about the supernatural. And, you know, maybe we concede the Holy Spirit because we kind of have to. But then all this stuff about angels or demons and, and their role to play, we put that, uh, sweep that one under the rug just because we're a little ashamed of it. But we have to understand that the message of Scripture is that there is one, more than one spirit at work. There is the Holy Spirit. He is the spirit of truth. But there's also the spirit of falsehood, the spirit of error. And there are many antichrists and false teachers gone out into the world. And what John does is he provides a standard test so you can know which is which. Whoever listens to us, he says, knows God. Whoever knows God listens to us, he says, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That is, whoever is not from God does not listen to the teaching of the apostles. The teaching which we do in fact find in the pages of the New Testament are scripture. And so once again, without scripture, you cannot tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demon. The difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. That is why scripture is so important in this conversation, because it is the standard by which we can discern what truly is the Holy Spirit. And so John Calvin, in his uh, most famous book, Institutes of the Christian Religion, puts it really well in uh, book one, chapter nine, and the first uh, number of chapters in his in book one of these institutes are really important if you wanted to uh, learn more about the role of scripture, its importance and necessity. Uh, but chapter nine of book one really speaks to this issue. And this is what he says there. He says, since Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, what authority can the spirit have with us if he be not ascertained by an infallible mark? And that infallible mark that he refers to in context is the scripture. We overestimate our own discernment ability if we think we don't have to worry about telling the difference between the Holy Spirit and a demon. We'll know. But Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. By natural appearance, he looks like a minister of righteousness. He looks like a servant of God. His lies can sound like truth. 
the way we can know that he really is Satan, that these lies really are not of God, is through the standard of Scripture, through the gospel that is preached there, through the rebuking of false teachers and false gospels by Paul and Peter and Jude. Scripture is how we know who God is, and it is how we know who or what is not God. That's why this is so important. And so, I mean, the question title of this episode was, Is the Holy Spirit better than the Bible? And I mean, on one sense, we do have to recognize that Scripture can be a dead text without the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. We, we don't want to end up like the Pharisees who search the Scriptures diligently. This is from John 5. Uh, because they thought that in them they had life, but refused to come to Jesus in order that they may have life. So we don't want to miss who Scripture is about, because all Scripture points to Jesus. The Holy Spirit himself points to Jesus. That is the keystone to all of this. But at the same time, we need to realize that the Spirit doesn't teach me these things outside of Scripture. It's what Jesus has already taught, what the apostles have already taught, what the prophets have already said that he now makes clear to me. It's not about providing new information. It's about revealing to me the significance of what the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ really mean and what I should now do about it. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is about. And so to bring back the anecdote, I started this episode with the spirit the holy spirit doesn't teach me that jesus loves me outside of scripture i can sing with good in good conscience that jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so understanding in that that the reality and the significance of his love is made more clear to me as the spirit uses scripture and brings it from the realm of rote memory into the depths of my heart and really changes how I live on the basis of that. So yes, while we don't want to be Pharisees, at the same time we don't want to be naive. Our foe is a cunning one. But scripture, God's word is the sword of the spirit, which we are given to stand against him. And we would be wise not to dismiss it so easily, to be so dissatisfied with it, and to expect God to work outside the framework he's provided. Because the framework and standard he has provided in scripture is good, and is beneficial to us, and will keep us on the right road. We might say that the Holy Spirit is better than the Bible, just in the sense that he is who is needed in order to give life to those words, to give us real understanding as to what they mean. But we better not be saying, if we do claim that the Holy Spirit is better than the Bible, that we mean, oh, the Holy Spirit's too good for it and won't associate with Scripture. He has a higher ministry than that where he just speaks into people's hearts completely independent of what Scripture says. We need to come and understand what the real ministry of the Holy Spirit is 
And we need to come understand and value the Bible for what it is. And stop with these arbitrary cliches that claim it's more spiritual to believe that God will act outside of who and what he has revealed himself to be and do in the pages of the Bible. So, if you want to know who God is and what his voice sounds like, then read scripture and pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see it in ways that your natural eyes can't. But he will teach you through the text. So let's return to that truth.